What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Win Win Effect podcast presented by Winject Studios. I am your host, Chris Ross. And if you're new to us, welcome. Really excited and blessed to have you here for the first time. The outcome that we're after in each episode of this show is to introduce you to as many people as I cross paths with to inspire and help you, our listeners, to manifest anything you want out of life. How I go about achieving this is one heartbeat, one mission, one outcome, that's success. For this week's featured guest, I'm excited to announce we have the creator and founder of the Pace Process course, trauma specialist, PhD, Shannon Connery. Her Pace method is highly effective, and it stands for pleasure, accomplishment, connection, and exercise. If these four areas are imbalanced for you, given your own personality and needs, and everything you bring to the table, it is certain your life will improve. And if these four areas are out of balance or unaligned, it is given that you will struggle. To learn more about her simple diagnostic tool that she formulated based on her research and her own analysis to help people understand their problems with clarity, click on the link in the description box in the show notes somewhere. I will make sure that my team puts that there for you as a resource. Stand by for a quick message before we bring on today's guest. And let's kick it up a couple notches and have some fun. See you on the other side. Hi there. This is Wes Base, co-founder of Winject Media Network and Winject Inc. Before we continue the show, I want to ask you a question. How would you like to gain access to behind-the-scenes footage, weekly live training with Chris and myself, as well as exclusive access to impactful segments of our shows that you can't get anywhere else? If that's you, here's what you need to do. Like and follow our Winject Facebook page. And on that page, you'll see a button on the right-hand corner with the title, Join Our Private Group. Click on that button and you'll be given instructions on how to do just that. Now, don't miss out on an opportunity to gain access to what people are calling the best content to grow and scale your life and business. Now, without further ado, let's get back to our show. What is up, everybody? As you can tell, I have another beautiful soul coming on live for us on the Win Win Effect podcast. Miss Shannon, how are you doing? Welcome to the show. Well, thank you for having me. I'm doing pretty well, all, all things 2020 considered. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 2020 vision. That's what <laughs> 2020 has done for me. It's given me a clear vision on what I don't want in my life. <laughs> so, I, I mean, what a year. What a year of learning and processing and now like done. <laughs> there's there's so much to kind of go, go into detail with you. And one of the major reasons why I wanted to have you on this show, that you are 100% authentic on who you are as a person and obviously what you do for a living. That's what makes you extremely powerful and really relatable. And I don't want to like go right into that, but it's just kind of like one of the things that I, I'm proud of myself for is that that's one of my ways that I'm able to break through the layers of people's bullshit, excuse the language <laughs> starting off, but I break through and I go right, I'm like a heat sinking missile to pain. That comes from me being a little bit more aligned to myself and in tune with my own emotions and understanding it's not me gaining all the information I need and knowledge, it's me shedding layers and getting the true essence of myself. And that's why I've become a little bit more, I guess you would say a superpower, um, breaking through. One of the biggest things that I watched probably in the last 10 years, I watched Tony Robbins. Obviously, everyone knows who that is. I watched Tony Robbins and I watched him cut through people's bull crap like, hot, like a hot knife and butter. And I was like, I do that, but I want to be able to make the money from being able to do it. And then that's the whole process. And then I was like making money. And then it wasn't about making money anymore. And it's about going back and doing it and just serving people. So that's one of the major reasons why I wanted to have you on the show. And others, other thing, 
is you're just an amazing person. You have an amazing story. So thank you again for coming on. I really, yeah, I'm going to really enjoy this. Yeah. I'm excited to dig in. All right. So, all right. I guess for the most part, there's only one question I usually ask people to kind of kick this off, giving people a little bit of context on who you are and what you're about. So say for instance, maybe you walked into the room with 10 people and they don't really know who you are. How do you kind of describe yourself and about, you know, what you do for a living, but most importantly, why you do what you do for a living? Oh, that's a good question. So, um, so I'm a psychologist and, um, I focused the first part of my career on trauma. So I fell into a job that was actually super, super badass. And I was pretty young to be doing it. So I didn't have the fear that a lot of people who maybe knew more would have, but I did things like um, fly to Antarctica on a Herc C-130 to interview people who wanted to winter over in Alaska. Um, you know, we have to make sure for the National Science Foundation that you don't have depression or drinking issues or have problems with mm -hmm. being in the dark for eight months. Um, and so I was pretty new to this corporation when Columbine hit, um, you know, here in Colorado. And all of a sudden we were seeing trauma at a level I'd never, I'd never worked with before, a specialty with trauma and became really expert at treating people and their trauma. And then, you know, when I had children and um, wanted a little less intensity, I transitioned to private practice and started dealing more with civilians, which was a mm -hmm. totally different gig. Um, their mindset, their sense of empowerment, all sorts of things. So, um, and so I really got into more depression, anxiety, couples work. And then my, um, so that's what I do in my career. Uh, did it for about 10 years until my own world sort of fell apart. And then I, and then I sort of refocused into the world of health and happiness, which mm -hmm. is where I sort of live now. You seem to really thoroughly enjoy what you do for a living. Well, for me, like listening, because you're obviously a podcast host, you've had a couple of my friends on your show, which, you know, that's obviously what's led us and kind of like the frequency and the station of attracting each other in our lives, I guess you would say. And you do a really good job of not going right in, but making people feel a little bit more comfortable when you're asking your frame of questioning. I'm, does that, I believe that's a skill. But when did you kind of like come to maybe a realization that you're actually really good of actually framing questions for people to really feel what you're talking about? Well, you know, I started this uh, podcast three years ago. It, it's, it's a funny transition. I mean, I, I didn't decide to become a podcaster. I decided to mm -hmm. be um, a writer. I wanted to write a book. And as you know, there's a whole bunch of games that you have to play in order to write a book, which you have to develop an audience. And yeah. I'm not a fan of social media. I think it's one of the biggest problems um, in the world and in the culture. It's creating anxiety and uh, depression. It's it's not healthy. And yet sometimes you have to do what you have to do to get where you want to go. But so to build a community, I thought, well, I could do a podcast. Yeah, I'm. I've spent 20 years interviewing people and figuring out what makes them special in their unique way. And my vision for my podcast, I call it Fix Yourself. Um, and not because I think people are broken, but because I think that we all have things we could be better at. We could all mm -hmm. be more empowered. We could all be healthier. And I'm really passionate about getting rid of victim mentality. Yes. I feel like the reason our culture is so broken in America, I know you're living in, in um, England, but 
America is so broken right now. And what I see in my private practice reflects the culture as a whole. And that is that people will walk in and they will say, I would be so much happier if my husband would do this, or I would be so much happier if my mom hadn't X, Y, Z. And at some point I just started thinking like, what if it's nobody else's fault? Right. You know, so own it. I'm used to in my private practice, getting a really good history on somebody, you know, what happened? They'll come in and say, my husband cheated on me. I'm so pissed off, but that's not, that's the what, that's not the why. So I have to track people back to say like, how did, how did we get to this point? And that I think comes through on my podcast. Cause I'm just, it's what I do in my job. Mm -hmm. It's effortlessly. I mean, you're able to cut through people and, and, it's, and it's for their own benefit. It's not because of you're doing it to play a, a Jedi mind trick on someone, you know, yeah. I guess, you know, from my, under, my understanding of my growth and obviously my journey and just putting myself into that role of asking questions, it all started from, you know, sales and then sales, but education sales, but you have to really pre-qualify someone to make sure they're going to do well in a program. And that's where I study so much of the way the human brain works. And once I kind of, then I started peeling back the layers and realizing yeah. that everyone has their own experience and own whatever. So, and even from now, like fast forward 20 years until this moment, I've realized that nothing else matter past. And for me being in a future, only thing is present is now. And that's a gift. Nothing right. else matters. And from my, from my experience and from what I've been exposed to in my life, everyone has a certain triggers and certain emotions tied into that and re-anchoring those emotions and putting something there. And asking yourself, really challenging yourself is, I think I wrote this down actually when I wanted to ask you is the two best tools that I believe that would help anyone through life is the cultivation of silence and cultivation of self-investigation, in my opinion, is like really that. digging in and being, being really silent and being alone in your own thoughts. And not, you can't control your thoughts, but you can direct them into a positive outlet and asking yourself that what, when, why, how, you know, questions that's really difficult because that's where you can really diagnose a problem and picking it apart, but not picking it apart to be malicious to yourself because everyone, and I'm sure you do this a lot with your courses, pace course, and we can get all in, all into that of what you do so well with the marketplace and how they're, you're really changing people's lives and transforming their lives and realizing, understanding what that trauma can actually do for you. But that being alone in your own thoughts and directing those, like what is your take on those tools one and then also what would if you had to give a piece of advice for someone that maybe wanted to take some time to be alone in their own thoughts like what are some tips you would like suggest for them to get the most from that type of exercise well those are really amazing questions and i will say um I've been thinking a lot about this stuff. You know, I, I, you, you um, alluded to my course. I have a, yes. a happiness course called Pace because, um, and we can maybe get into this later. But my my world really fell apart a decade ago. Mm -hmm. I mean, and I was leading a sort of unexamined life. I I was just listening to all the messaging in the world that's out there, especially for women, but for men now. I I think it's very. It's very, they have the same messaging that women get now too about what's important, what will create happiness. And, you know, th the messaging I got and women get is that you have to be small. Like mm -hmm. you have to actually physically be small and little. You have to 
you know, hitch yourself to a successful person. You have to do everything. Like you have to have a career, but also be a stay at home person. You have to raise kids and look beautiful and do all these things. And so I, I really started to study happiness when, when my world far, fell apart and I created this program pace. It has to do with, you know, pleasure and accomplishment and connection and exercise and all of that. And then 2020 hits <laughs> and being a happiness and health expert, when everybody in the country and world is struggling with depression and um, loneliness and all these things. So um, it became really difficult to sort of navigate. So I love what you asked about, like, if you could give advice about um like silence and and working to become better. I mean, one of the things I've been noticing this year, my clients, there's a couple things is to deal with the pandemic. I don't know about you, but everybody's like at home all the time and they're yeah. they're watching way more TV, they're streaming more and they're drinking more. Like drinking yeah. is off the charts. Crazy um, right now. People are killing themselves. I mean, they're going to they're going to come out of this, you know, this year with a with a serious issue. Oh, my, my doctor said she's she's just never seen anything like it. And I do think that the pandemic has it on steroids. But in general, there is a thing that's happened in the world where what we thought would create happiness hasn't. Mm -hmm. And so people are numbing and checking out and distracting. And so one of the things I've been working on during the pandemic, and I was just writing before um before this podcast, I was just writing a newsletter to my community about this whole, like, let's say that you're drinking more. And most of us are. I mean, ask, be willing to ask yourself right now, what's the feeling underneath it? And it might not be a scary big feeling, like it might be, I'm bored, but mm. it's going to give you such valuable information. So for instance, if you're saying to yourself, um, well, I drink every every night right now because I can't do anything. I can't go out. I can't be with my friends. I can't travel. I can't do all the things. And I'm bored. What I tell people right now is just sort of sit with that for a minute. Sit with boredom. What does boredom feel like? Wow, I love this. And as you sink a little deeper, you don't have to be scared of it. As you're feeling boredom and, mm -hmm. and that boredom that you're usually able to distract from, now that we can't distract, maybe we can really learn something from being bored. Like maybe that's going to tell you the information that you need to find your purpose. Because if you're bored and you usually go on a trip or you usually go to dinner with your friends or you go out to a bar and you go dancing, you've just masked your boredom. Yeah. You haven't, you just are using a different tool right now to deal with your boredom and it's called drinking and television. But that boredom is there. Or that loneliness is there, or that um, whatever your sense that feeling is, it's there. And if you sit with it and get quiet with it, which is why I love what you just said, Chris, about silence. If you can get silent and ask your boredom what you need to do to not be bored and spend a couple minutes jotting down ideas, maybe they're your dreams, mm -hmm. maybe they're those things that you think about, but then you're your fears or your self-esteem get in the way, that that is the information that we all need right now. And that's going to be where, okay, you get this vaccination. Do you want to go back to your busyness? Mm -hmm. Or do you want to acknowledge that for nine months, you engaged in behavior that wasn't great because you haven't wanted to face something that's actually your biggest gift? Yeah, 100%. 
talked about the talking about I did a training and I don't know if I sent this to you or I don't know. It was on I can't remember if it was a show I did or I was on another episode. I can't all of them bleed together sometimes. But I was talking about the four A's is you know, you would first it comes with being aware and then holding yourself accountable. Then before you can take massive action, you need a clear and concise vision or at least listening to your intuition. Then you can take massive action from it. Sometimes when they go, you hear a lot of these, you know, thought provoking leaders or whatever you want to call them. Like you got to take massive action and burn your boats and yada, yada, yada. But sometimes you just have to start. You just have to move that needle just a little bit and seeing something positive, like transpire, get, get something from it. And then you go, OK, that makes more sense. Now you have that dopamine feeling you talked about with the social media stuff. I'm saying because here's the thing about people and humans. They just want to feel good. And they want to feel like a sense of accomplishment in some type of way. And once they move that need a little bit of like, they'll feel good about themselves. So like someone's losing weight, they'll go, I lost 10 pounds. I look better now in this dress or look better now in this suit or whatever that might be for people. Then you have to look at the other side of it and really hold yourself accountable to all of it. And that's where the discipline really comes in. And if you're not alone in your own thoughts and being I guess you would say in a quiet place and, and learning how to direct your thoughts in a positive outlet, you're just going to conform and be like everybody else in the status quo. When you mentioned drinking, I had a, and I wouldn't say an issue with drinking, but my problem when I would drink, I would just break out in handcuffs. <laughs> okay. I was allergic, <laughs> but I would just, I couldn't, I was just, I'm a hundred percent like all in to something. That's just my personality type. My mom tells an amazing story when I learned how to walk, I ran everywhere. And when my foot hit the ground in the morning, I was moving. Like I was on fire. But you got to give me something to do. I'm going to be bored. So if I'm not, if I'm bored, I swear I'm going to get myself in some, you know, some issues. Right? So what do you do when you're bored? You go to the bar. So, and that's where, you know, I started seeing and uh, noticing a cycle in the common denominator on some of the things that I was suffering with in my ego. I was drinking. And that was the common denominator and a lot of issues that I had in my personal life and in business. But I've always done really well in business, but I couldn't align both. And we can go a little bit more in depth on that. But I just want to mention this one point about the drinking stuff. I took me not drinking anymore and I just took that vice and now it was just about being successful and you know making money and doing the right things. And I, you know, granted I'm I'm a very blessed individual. I was able to produce an amazing amount of results in a short period of time. And not really have to experience a failure of business, kind of learn from other people's failures. But what I did learn, I hit a certain level of success, but everything else in my life freaking blew up. And I had to take, I had to take a real hard look like at my life. And I, I mentioned this to you before when we very first spoke and even, be, even before we hit record, I felt like it was a Pepsi, a Pepsi glass or whatever. I can see through everything that I really wanted to accomplish. I could touch it, but I couldn't get to the other, other side of that wall. And I had to take a hard look. And granted, I'm glad that I did. I'm very fortunate. I'm grateful. But that's the hard part about people. They're not grateful for the good and bad. And I guess that's something that we can kind of go into with the trauma stuff. And you mentioned 10 years ago, your life kind of fell apart. Oh, you, do, yeah. you do a really good job of owning that and that makes it really relatable for people. But what was, can you kind of like shed a, shed a light on some of the things that you had to overcome yourself 10 years ago? Well, so I just always own that I make, I've made every mistake that 
most people can make. Um, and I did it for so many years because what I thought I wanted was based on, you know, this messaging I kind of referred to that in life, if I, I just really sort of in a shallow, very unexamined way thought, well, I want to have a couple kids and a family and I want to have a certain level of wealth and, mm -hmm. but I probably want to stay home a little bit. So, you know, I got to, it, it just was unexamined. And I ended up 30, uh, had so much fun in my life. You know, I traveled and partied and been around the world. And, um, but I really realized like, okay, I got to, I got to settle down. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, uh, a charming prince showed up and, um, and I thought, all right, here he is. And I sort of didn't listen to the part where he said, oh, hey, and by the way, I had this addiction for a period of time. And I just sort of glossed over it like, oh, well, that's OK. You're fine now. It's good. And and that ended up being my husband. And um, he's a wonderful man. I do not want to disparage uh, him or who he is. I It's more about my learning process. Somebody came to me and said, I am an opiate addict. And I decided, okay, that's fine. You're not anymore. Let's move on. As I say, psychologists, so think about that. When we do things that don't make any sense, it's almost always because we're reacting from a fear. Yeah. And at that time, I believe my fear was like, you know, you've had so much fun, but the clock is ticking. Like, let's go now. You got to have one or two kids. You got to, you got to have some success. Let's go. So I'm, I get married and two kids later, um, he had his first or second relapse, um, where I had to face like, no, this wasn't his narrative of, of, you know, that he'd had an injury and been over prescribed opiates and that it, you know, but it wasn't a real addiction, um, that that wasn't true. He was a real addict to opiates mm. and that my life was not safe because I didn't know when the next, um, when the next relapse would come. And I had given all of my power away. And I think women do this a lot because we're trying to be good girls. People, you know, we start with um, fairy tales in our youth about get, 100%. you know, wait for your Prince Charming. And then he provides your happiness and your wealth. And then, you know, and, and, and then you hope, Hope to God nothing goes wrong because if like me, your Prince Charming is an opiate addict mm -hmm. and they lose their business and their wealth and their license and their money, guess what you just did? You just lost it all too. You sacrificed everything. Yeah. Everything. And so I had, thank God, you know, I'd stopped working when my kids were little, but after a couple um, relapses, I started working again. So that by the third one, a huge one. So my X came to me and we were at Disneyland. So this was the funniest. My first book was going to be not called not the happiest place on earth <laughs> because, and that just goes to show you like my anger at the time, but mm -hmm. we're about to go to the park and I look over and my ex-husband was, you know, starting to cry. And, I, and I'd seen that look and I couldn't even go to compassion because I was like, oh my God, I know what's about to come out of his mouth. And he said, look, I can't go to the park today. I have to go surrender my medical license and get an attorney. And I just went, I'm sorry, what? And in the next course, the course of the next few months, I realized that we had no money. He'd spent every single penny without mm -hmm. my knowledge. I had, um, 
he had to leave to go to rehab. Um, he'd been using for months and like every day somebody would come to me and go, oh yeah, oh yeah, I wondered why he came to me for a prescription and oh yeah, oh, I thought you were using too. So my reputation, my money, right. my how everything was gone. Within a few months, I went from somebody with a multi-million dollar house, a house in the, in Vail. Um, you know, I had a big life and it was all fake. Yeah. It was built on a house of cards of inauthenticity where I had thought, here's what's going to lead me to happiness. And I had every box checked. I looked the right way. I did the right things. I had a group of friends and all of it was phony. And as soon as I lost it all, it became very clear which parts of my life were authentic. So um, if you all of a sudden have a scandal and our news went national, we were on, it was CNN. I mean, and, and the way they broke it was sort of like surgeon exposes thousands to HIV and AIDS. And, and I don't know what that story was about. Um, he, he wouldn't tell me and it right. didn't make any sense to me because he couldn't get drugs from it. But um but it, it was big. And who, so who was around? I thought I had tons and tons of friends all of a sudden. Oh yeah. No, they all, they all, they're like roaches. Shoo, they're gone. Gone. They're, that light turn on, they're gone. They were yeah. gone. And, and it's funny. I almost felt, and I can't, I mean, I'm not trying to at all pretend like I understand what racism is like, but I did understand sort of the concept that, you know, my black friends will tell me about sort of modern racism is harder because people are really nice to your face. Mm -hmm. But then there's a subtle rejection or a subtle judgment. Mm -hmm. Everybody was very kind. Oh, I'm so sorry about what you're going through. But, you know, the invitations to do things dried up. Nobody came over to see my new, you know, piece of crap rental house that I moved in. And so the people who stuck around, all of a sudden I had authentic friendships. That's and that's where I really started to say to, to lead what I call more of an examined life and a mindful, like the awareness that I helped my patients, you know, touch, not to cut you off, but touch on that just real quick, that an examine yeah. life. What, I mean, can you expand a little bit more on that? Cause I know what you mean by it, but I know that the listeners yeah. probably maybe, I, cause it's not what we say it's what they hear and what they take in. Right. right. I know what you mean by it. Expand yeah. on that examine life. If you can. So what I felt like is, okay, I had this moment where I was sitting in this junky rental house and yet I felt really happy and really calm. And I thought, all right, in the past, I thought that having a really big house and a beautiful car and a house in the mountains and being married would have made me happy. I had all that. And even before the, the addiction and the relapse, I wasn't happy. Mm. So I sat there in this junky place that was messy and whatever, and I felt so calm and so authentic. And I thought, I don't want to go do the same thing again. So I want to understand what actually makes me tick and what creates genuine empowerment and what will make me really fulfilled. And I started to really examine everything in my life. Like I was pretty much a part-time working stay-at-home mom. And I just, I gave myself the permission to say, did you like being a stay-at-home mom? I know you're supposed to, if you can afford it. If your right. husband makes enough money, you go, well, gosh, I really should stay home because that's the noble thing to do. Um, and yet that's not where I felt mm -hmm. energized. I got with my, with my clients and when I was doing trauma work, when somebody would come into me after having been through a shooting or a horrific event, and I could say to them, 
don't worry. I got this. Don't, don't worry about your trauma because I am skilled and I will get you from A to Z. That's where I was. That's where my power came from. That's where I felt alive. And I think so many of us want to feel alive. Like that's the thing I hear when somebody has an affair, they go, I just felt alive. You hear it a lot lot in a lot of different ways. I mean, people are longing to feel alive when you think about it, but we were just talking about how so many people are numbing because they don't, they don't want to feel alive. They don't want to feel present. Examining life for me meant that I, all of a sudden, and I, I really study energy. So I started to picture like in the morning that, you know, you've got your cup of coffee or a cup of water and you've had a good night of sleep and it's half full. And I just started to examine like what gives me energy during the day and what drains it? Because I had been living with ideas and expectations like, oh, if you exercise, then you get energized. And I do think that that is true. But if I run five miles, I have a lot of energy. If I run 10, I'm dead. Mm -hmm. So I can't run 10 miles and then go to work and be there for my patients. And I just started to examine so many things with happiness. So friendships, we think, oh, you want to have a lot of friendships that that's part of a happy life is having a community. Have you ever really examined which friendships fill you up and which drain you and which energy vampires, because the people who want something from you, the people who, um, who need you are often the energy people who are suckers, man. They're they, energy they're suckers. The I was drained them. same way, same yeah. way, but I want to touch on one, something you just said, not to cut you off. And I'm gonna let you finish. Cause I, this is beautiful for the listeners. Thank you so much for, but I guess really dissecting some of this because a lot of people, they, you hear a lot of major players in the game, they talk about it, but they don't go into that much detail. You talked about something just real quick. You said you gave yourself permission. I think that's very powerful. And I felt that when you said it. That's really difficult for people. That's the first step. Would you agree is giving yourself permission to kind of like not be hard on yourself or malicious and mean, but giving yourself permission to feel something different than maybe could come from something that's projected onto you, maybe a culture type of thing. And, and I agree with you about the women. They, you know, it's in Disney movies, it's, um, you know, in Barbies and it's like, you have to, that's, well, do you hear someone say that a woman leaves a guy and has all, he had everything. Why would they leave? Cause they're unhappy. That's why they left. And that could come from my life. I, I, we had it, my, my ex and I, we had it like the way it looked like on the outside looking in, we had it all, but we were freaking miserable. Yep. We were miserable and we fell apart. Yeah. The permission I think is key. And it's funny. I worked with a coach for a few years when I was, you know, as I was deciding what to write about, because you can write about a million things. I've been doing psychology for 20 years. I could write 10 books. Mm-hmm. And so you have to, he did, he did. Um, and I want your listeners to hear this because it's an amazingly powerful tool that I use now with my clients in a little different way than he used it with me. But he had me do something called clarity cards. And what you do is you take those good old fashioned index cards that you used to put your Spanish or French words on to memorize them. <laughs> and you do what's called a brain dump where you write down everything that you do in your life. And that can be housework, your job, parenting, PTA, soccer coach, whatever you do, you write down everything. And you also put in there everything you want to do. Like if you have dreams of having your own podcast, put podcasts down Mm -hmm. and you'll end up with a stack because we all want to do so much. Hopefully, if you're lucky, 
And then you have to put them into low, medium, and high priority piles. Then what you do is you play with the piles to create a pyramid of 10 cards. Mm. Whatever you pick, that's all you get to do. So let's say you put as Chris Ross, you have a bunch of companies and you have your podcast and you have all this stuff that you dream of doing. Um, And you put your podcast as the biggest card. That's where you're going to put most of your energy. And then you put your other companies, your other media companies, and then you put your coaching and this and that. If you have your 10 companies you're working with at the end, that's what you get. And you don't get to do anything else. So if all of a sudden you're like, well, wait, but I go on a date. Mm-hmm. Nope, not unless you put it in those 10 cards. And right. so you create the 10 cards that you give yourself permission to put your energy into. It also gives you permission to say no to everything else. Yeah. Love and that. it's really fun as you, I do this exercise once a year now. I do a lot more with it and I'm writing about it now where I tie it to values and I make people, um, create the value behind. So if you want to put on your, in one you're of your reading cards, my mind, you're reading my mind. I was next question. I was like, yeah. wouldn't it be best to also tie it into the values and what you feel is more valuable for your own life? I love well, that. And this is the key to building self-esteem is that if you value health and you create in one of your cards, a goal, like say you want to run a marathon or let's say you want to start doing your Peloton. One of your cards is is Peloton, but it's tied to a goal of health, your value, your core value to be healthy so that you can live till you're 90. If you have a goal that goes then with that, and then you create a habit, so then you start doing your Peloton daily, you now have, have a value of health, a goal of Pelotoning, a habit of doing it every day, and now you have self-esteem because you are living in a way that creates authenticity. If you have your podcast and your podcast is based on your value of giving people information and then growing your business and you show up and you do your podcast and you put it out there, now you have Mm self-esteem. And for the people who have a value of health because they see that what they want to look like and feel like, and then they come home and they sit on the couch and they eat potato chips and they don't get on their Peloton. Now you don't have self-esteem because you have a core value and you are actively not doing it. So the clarity cards tied to values, tied to behaviors, they're huge. They give you this permission to examine what do I want? And that's without, without calling it clarity cards. That's what I did for a year after my world fell apart. I went, what do you want to do with your health? That takes time. Do you are you willing to put in the time? Okay, yeah, what do you want to do with your life? Are you willing to put in a time it's going to need for you to be able to accomplish? I love this. What, how long do you think it takes for someone to go through that type of exercise, maybe for a year or whatnot? But how long before it, it turns into now a personality trait for them? Oh, gosh, that's a really good question. And I have I think that people can change in dramatic ways much faster than they believe they can. Right. Um, and I love something that you say that I've heard on various interviews that I've, I've heard you on, which is sort of this concept of one percent. Mm. That that's so that's so um, and I do it in a little bit different way. But, you know, like, let's say somebody has a goal of growth in some way, but they get overwhelmed like they, you know, if you're sitting at home and you're you struggle with weight and you want to lose weight, then and you think, well, I can't go run two miles because I just can't. 
I always have people cut that in half. Okay, so what does it feel like if you cut a goal in half? Could you mm-hmm. run a mile? No. Could you run half a mile? Cut it in half again? No. A quarter, like where do we get to where all of a sudden, instead of avoiding, you are pr- approaching? Because what we yes. want people to do is feel safe enough to approach. Once you can find that. So now that I've got somebody who, who will agree to walk around the block, easy. Tomorrow you're going to walk around the block. Accountability, buddy. Yep. Love it. And, and that, and that, like you say, 1% better every day. Like people can put their, they can wrap their minds around that. You don't have to change every way you eat, but how about if you change breakfast? Mm-hmm. You don't have to stop watching television. How about if you cut out half an hour and go to bed half an hour earlier and get up half an hour earlier? Do you know what you can do between 5 30 and 6 in the morning? I love when people tell me they don't have enough time. And I, That's to, why I, I, I pick them apart. I pick them apart. Me too. That's so funny. <laughs> that is how I love that you said that because that is how I started studying energy. Because people would say to me, I don't have time to do pace. I, I have I have a job and I have kids. I can't add pleasure to my day. I can't add more accomplishment. I can't add more friendship activities and exercise. And I said, give me your schedule. I can find at two hours in every single person on planet Earth's day. No, I can't. Sorry. There's a 0.001% out there. Right. Who really but no, I can, I can pick them apart and I'll find, I'll find you 15 minutes. But as sure. soon as I say, well, just go to bed at nine and get up at four 30 and you can do everything you want to do with your writing and your workout, whatever, before your work starts. And people will say, Oh, I can't do that. Cause I don't I'm too tired. That's why I study mm-hmm. energy because as soon as you get into their time excuse, it comes down to energy. So if you don't have energy, then you are not studying your day with an awareness of what energizes you. That's such important information. If you Mm -hmm. love your job, I love my job. I don't feel like, oh, I got to go to work. I don't feel like that. I don't feel like, oh my gosh, I've got to do another podcast. If you're energized by your activities, your life is totally different. Mm -hmm. So my what might look the same as it used to before my world fell apart. I'm still married. I still have, um, you know, in my life now, because I'm very lucky, exceptional wealth, I still have the th- all the things, and yet qualitatively, my life Love is this. 100% different. So that's what examination does. It's not like you want friends. Of course you want friends. Which friends? Yeah, 100%. You got to pay close attention to the ones that when you win or you do accomplish something, and the ones that don't celebrate that. Right. Like I, I much rather, and I, and I do have a really good like really core set of like friends. And it's like literally a handful <laughs> because I've, it's all self limit is they limit my exposure to them themselves by their actions or inactions. And they make choices and decisions that lead me to like really dissecting and breaking down. Is this an energy drainer or is it someone that's actually on me plugged into an energy source and gives me fulfillment from, and you probably have seen on the shows Towards the end of the interview, I get a lot more hype and I get a lot more energy because I'm plugged into my energy source. But, so this is this is where I learned that where I was self-sabotaging myself later when I got off of work. It was kind of like in my relationships, even in, in my parents or my sister, and it makes it even more difficult now with COVID and they're in America. I have to spend a lot more of my time and schedule time to make sure that I'm putting in that time with them and having that. I guess a deeper conversations rather than how are you doing? What's been going on? This, you know what I mean? Like getting into a real conversation. So 
I found that when I would put so much energy into what I did for a living, it brought me so much joy and fulfillment. I had to find something else equal to that type of feeling of joy and satisfaction for the rest part of my life. And I see that's a lot with a lot of high achievers. They end up burning themselves out or they maybe they come unaligned and, and maybe a different aspect of their life. Maybe you see a lot of successful people, they get divorced or they might have a drug problem. They're masking all this shit and they're hiding it from the world because it's they bought into the identity of being successful and then they're giving off an illusion that everything is okay. Well, I mean, in my course that I came up with, um, I talk a lot about this. I talk yeah. a lot about these two areas. So accomplishment, this is something that people live in, in, in America. I'm sure also, I mean, in so many cultures, especially men, you know, we revere men who overwork, who are successful, you know, that whole, like I'll sleep when I die. I mean, we just go, Oh, well, he's amazing. I mean, look at that. I mean, if you wake up at four and meditate and then work out and then do a job and then work, work, work. And, you know, those are the people who we go, Oh, that person is amazing. That person has to also have connection, hobbies, exercise, and and a very full life. And if you don't, unless you get all four areas of pace in your work, like you work with people who you connect with. And so that's enough for you. Mm -hmm. And you're, you're a musician. So your hobby was going to be music anyway, and you get movement in your day. Okay. Maybe you don't need balance in the same way that the rest of us do, but the people like you that I have met, the super high achievers, they have one whole set of issues with burnout. And then there's this whole other side, which was where I was living, right? So you and I were at the opposite ends of this accomplishment spectrum where you have all of these women who are so smart and so creative and so have so much potential, like sitting around watching their children play Mm -hmm. and not feeling whole and not feeling fulfilled, but feeling too guilty that they're not grateful. And so that they don't feel permission to go like, you know what? Can't watch my kids play for one more hour. If I have to have one more conversation about a cleanse or a fast or a diet, I'm going to shoot my head off. And so I have to go find a job. It, and it's just really hard to break out of those roles. And for right. somebody like you, I can't even imagine to have to say like, I need to work less, even though I make so much and people love my message and people need me. I got to do less. I mean, mm-hmm. I it's, it's not easy. And so in this course, I tried to put step by step What do you need from connections? How do you create accomplishment? And I really look at accomplishment as low, medium, and high. And you have tons of high-level accomplishment. These are big dreams, big ticket items. And sometimes what people who live in high accomplishment need is a day of like gardening with their hands in in the plants or like buying some groceries and making a meal. Like you forget that there are these other accomplishments that fill you up at a different level um, and for my, for my stay at home, talking about my last year, you're talking about my whole life, my whole last year, yeah. it's been such of like, of a discovery. And I fell in love with myself again, where I was secretly hating myself for years. Oh my gosh. I love that statement almost more than maybe anything I've heard in days. That is amazing. I, I really, and, and I know it's probably, I don't want to come across like a, a narcissistic type of way of saying it, but I fell in love with myself. Even my faults, I fell in love with those more. Then actually my accomplishment, I realized there's a lot of other things that bring me joy. And then I had no idea. I love to learn. 
I love to learn stuff. I've recently got my, I, you know, of course I grew up in an Italian family. My mom can cook and stuff like that. I'm so much more like my mother than I actually ever would imagine than anybody else in my family. I'm like, I'm so freaking neat. I have to have things a certain way. I'll have certain days of the week where I, all I'll do is I'll cook and meal prep and I'll have to have my clothes a certain way. I make my, you know what I mean? I have my bed. I, I have clean that. You, you would go nuts if you seen my house, how clean it is. And yes, I do have a cleaner. It does a deep cleaning, but that's only like the boards and all that other stuff and mopping. I don't, cause I don't want to do all so that. OCD right there with you with <laughs> it's ridiculous. My but mind. I brought, bring, that's where I'm able to take my energy and put it into something else that brings me joy and the same amount of accomplishment. Cause I look back and I look at my, okay, a nice meal that I never thought I would ever be able to cook. And it's like really good. And I'm like, wow, I'm like, that's a huge accomplishment for myself. So I'm, I'm still feeding that need. Yeah. Where I'll make, where in previously, and this is something I really wanted to bring up because I think this is a beautiful message that you're really conveying to the listeners right now. And I hope they're really paying attention. Like, so say, for instance, you have a person like yourself is extremely intelligent and really good at what you do for a living. And you mentioned it 10 years ago when everything kind of collapsed on you and you had two kids in a situation you had to go back to work because not because of you wanted to go back to work is because you were kind of like indirectly forced to go back to work because of what happened with your ex. And you lost all that time where you could have been working on your craft and working on what you wanted to accomplish. And obviously what you do right now brings you a lot of joy. That's a huge trap for women. Like, cause say for instance, your ex or who like, I'm just put myself in the situation that makes it easy to frame it. I made a, I made a really good amount of money and it's kind of like, yeah, my ex could have worked. But it's like, okay, you take a, this peanut of whatever that was. And I'm not trying to make that sound awful, but taking whatever that is and maybe get a side job and then just put it with the rest of your money. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So she was kind of indirectly forced to, you know, like be the house, you know what I mean, person. And that wasn't the role that was going to make her flourish. And I've learned this through this past year of really self-discovery from myself and some of my flaws and the things that I'm extremely grateful now of actually understanding what I was doing and not... I was doing it to help her, but I was doing it. it was probably actually, I was actually suffocating her and, and actually putting her underneath something to where she wasn't able to like really flourish and be herself. But I think it's a trap that women that women also we get into and we're, we we take part in it, and partially because it, it we focus on the wrong thing. We focus on right. okay. the paycheck, like oh, my husband makes so much money, and I could go work in this fashion boutique, but I can't even make the money that, you know, to make sense because daycare costs so much. Well, I mean, that's the wrong question of the, how much do you make? Mm -hmm. If you have the luxury of, of not having to worry about money, then it can become about what fills you up. Yeah. You know, and it's funny because I used to really focus on the four areas of pay separately. And now, you know, one of my one of my goals in my life every day is to add pleasure to everything. So it, instead, so people, people don't like to exercise. And I just always say, do something else. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I don't know what exercise you're doing, but you were born when, when you were born, you love to move. Kids yep. roll down hills. <laughs> you put a kid somewhere, they will just spin. They'll mm -hmm. climb anything that's around. They'll jump. They'll, They'll, they'll do somersaults. They cartwheel like they just move their bodies because it's so enjoyable. And there's like this day. And I just go, what what day was this when we decided 
that like to get serious. I can't stand it. I had this great story. I don't don't know how much time we have, but no, please go ahead. I'm, I'm, so, I'm, I, I, this is like one of my favorite. I mean, just to let you know right now, this is one of my favorite interviews I've ever. Oh had. my I, gosh, I'm so I'm happy. So to freaking aligned to what you're, and I'm, I'm it's just beautiful for me. Is that the listeners are hearing it coming from another voice, and it has so much substance behind it and story. Yeah. It's relatable. So go ahead, please go ahead. Tell me so story. I was doing what so many people do. It's like a, it was a snowy day in Colorado. My kids were driving me bonkers because they were bouncing off the walls. <laughs> and so we decided to go to this place called um, I can't Monkey Business, and it was a big warehouse that has jumping like path, like jumping yeah. obstacle course and a jumping slide where you go up the big thing and then you slide down. And you get there and you sign your life away and sign permission for your kids to break bones and no, no problem. And then you go and you sit in the corner and look at your phone while your kids go play. And I was doing it for the millionth time, right? My kids were at this time, I don't know, five and eight. And I walk in and a guy I kind of recognized from their school came and he said, oh, how are you doing? How's your break going? Blah, blah, blah. And he said, he saw me like getting ready to sit in a chair and he goes, wait a minute. You're not going to sit, are you? Do you know how fun this is? This mm. is fucking fun. Like, get up. Right. And I was like, and it was like a light bulb went on. I was like, all of a sudden, like, no, no of course I'm not going to sit down. Why would I sit down? I went out and had so much fun. I climbed the slide that was about 60 feet tall, about 20 times, and went down it and did obstacle courses and jumped. I laughed so hard. Next morning, I woke up. I was so sore. It was laughing probably. I laughed. I connected. Mm -hmm. I had fun. Why have I been watching my kids have fun? Mm -hmm. And now when my kids are doing something, I do it. I mean, they're older now. So that's great. But if they're on an ATV, I'm ATVing. If they're going to go zip lining, sign me up. If we're going to water ski, I'm going to fall and have water up my nose too. Because otherwise we have stopped and we're just watching our kids live. And that is mm -hmm. not a life. Uh, I, I don't know why I, and I, I felt, I fell into that trap as well. And I mean, granted, not because I had to have children or whatnot to experience, but I, it, I was the sole provider and that's a limiting belief that men have. And it's projected only going to provide, you got to do this, you got to do this and you're the protector and you're overall responsible for the happiness in your family and the financial wealth of your family and whatever. Right. And to be safe, but all that, it comes stems from fear, right? And I wasn't able to experience joy anymore because I had something else going on in my mind and what I needed to do. Like, oh, I can't do this because I have to do see that word can't. It's a mother trucker, you know what I mean? Yes. So and you have to fall and I and this is this comes back, and I'm telling you, Miss Shannon, Shannon, like I had to go back in and really dig into my core and was and I had to un like not take a bunch of stuff away and, and and shedding layers. I had to really like break down why I feel a certain way about a certain emotion or story or experience, whatever that is, and really like hold myself accountable to that. And granted, I'm, I'm so grateful for this year. And I think that's what's going to happen in the next like three to five years that you'll see when people that they're doing extremely well, they put in the work. And that's the work when no one's watching. No one's watching. Oh, I love that because who are you when no one's watching is such a good question. But I love your, I think your insight right there is so important for people to hear that 
I don't even believe we have awareness of all of our fears. Fear is so built into our brain. It's, it mm-hmm. keeps us safe. So it's, it's this two sides of one coin. Like we have to have fears that are rational to keep us safe. We don't want to run into streets and, you know, I took my running shoes on my trip to Africa and it was hilarious because all the people at the camp just looked at me and they're like, no, honey, there's no running. <laughs> There are elephants and lions. Right. Yeah, they're going to chase you. You better watch it. Yeah. I tell you. Um, but when you were saying like fear, fear is a motivator. It's just the wrong motivator. And so. Mm-hmm. How can you make it the right one? That's, and, that's and, my and, question. And no, I changed so honestly, yeah. honestly. And it's so funny because the gift of my losing everything when I lost all my material goods and my marriage and, you know, the reputation in the community and, you know, lots of friends, when I lost everything, I, I basically lived every fear I had. Right. So we all have these fears that keep us going. We don't, we don't want to have no friends. We don't want to have our reputation ruined. And when I had to live every fear I had, it became the biggest gift of my life because I don't say that again. Say that again. I love that. Say that again. If I, when you live every fear you've ever had, it is the greatest gift in your life. And I'll tell you why, because I, there is nothing you can take from me anymore other than my children and the people I love. You can't, you can't scare me with anything because I've had nothing. I've woken up in the morning and had zero balance in my checkbook. I have had to sell everything in a minute. I've had to be on the national news. I've had to, you can't, I used to care what people thought and it kept me stuck. But when all of a sudden everybody knew every dark secret I'd had. Mm -hmm. I leave with it all. Leave with it all. I I know you can't, I literally, I don't care anymore. If you're not on board with what I'm doing, see you. And I don't care about people's judgment because you're either like with me, with my soul, with my vision, with my platform, or you're not. And that's entirely okay with me Mm because I lost everything. So every single thing I have now is something I intentionally put into my life. Yeah, And it's such a gift. Like if people could see that their fears, they think their fears keep them safe and their fears keep them stuck. Yes. hundred percent. That's the first question I ask people. It's like, what's so safe for, and you're just putting your story in there. So maybe it's a little relatable to everyone else and something you could speak really passionately about because it's obviously your life and the things you had to overcome. Like came in with, and I find this a lot, it happens with a lot of men, successful men that they, they don't lead with what they're afraid of. They're trying to make sure their wife or their relationship is everything's okay. So they're using your emotional intelligence as a tactical side, but it ends up turning into a narcissistic type of way of thinking. And they are trying to protect everything and they're trying to make sure that everything's good to go. And they're projecting that off onto the other person. And now Shannon's going to deal with that trauma. Right. And that's not a good feeling. And I've had to live both sides of this even comes. I had, I went back into even my mom, like, Going through, you know, to having, she's been adopted twice, eight back surgeries, beating cancer. My dad, you know, grew up in a, you know, really un, like not a really good home, like with his, his father, my grandpa, he had a ha- huge alcohol problem and he was very ab- verbally abusive. So I've, I had to not because of they, they didn't know they, I mean, they, they had to dealt the best, you know, playing the cards that are dealt with. Right. So. Mm-hmm. 
I had to go back to all that shit. And because where my, I guess you would say sense of not entitlement, but the achievement side I got from my mom of not being good enough. Like nothing was ever good enough. That's how I felt. And I projected that onto my, all my other relationships. There's been relationships I've had, Shannon. I've never showed up. They don't even know who the hell I am. I never, they never met me. And see, that's why now that you have that awareness, it's, it can be so hard when you have that awareness. When I think back of the years I wasted yeah. and you think back to those relationships and if you'd actually let the people know you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's a big part of your platform now is even in sales, it's like you have to approach all those things that you don't, that aren't comfortable, right? Mm-hmm. That people don't like to do and they don't like to have hard discussions. And if you don't, then, then you have an easier life, but it's not, it's not a real life. Easy, I just easy status quo, easy status quo to me. And I don't live that world. I, I just, it, yeah. I, I know what I don't want in my life, Shannon. And I run away from that, but I don't run away as it, as like, I'm scared of it. I just know what I don't want. And that's one of my biggest motivators as well. Do you know what's so funny is, so part of that examined year for me is that when I, um, I was one of the women who drove me crazy when they came into my office, I was one of them and I was treating them. So it was funny, but I would always hear this. Like if my husband didn't play golf all the time, then I would be much happier because I'd have more time and I have to be with the kids and he's always golfing or he's always at work. And I'm so bummed that I have to live with this. Mm. And I felt the same way. I I would sometimes call myself a, a golf widow. And then after I went through everything, I realized one day I had this epiphany, like, where's your golf? Like he had something that he couldn't wait to get up in the morning Mm -hmm. on a weekend to do. And I focused my energy on that being the problem instead of the problem, which was where's my golf? Find something. Yeah. Find something that brings you that much satisfaction and joy. Yeah. And as soon as I realized the power in that moment, I do it with everything. So here's an example from the pandemic. Masks, no masks, America's cuckoo. Like America's lost its mind. Um, But so for me, obviously, as a psychologist, I'm a scientist, I wear a mask. And there was a day that I was out, I was going for a run. I love to run on the weekends. It clears my head. I get all of my creativity. All of my ideas come from sort of a moving meditation when I run. In silence. <laughs> so I went to the running trail I always go to, and I had a mask. But this was at the beginning when they said, you wear your mask just to protect other people, but other people have to wear their mask to protect you, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm out there, and nobody has a mask on. I live in a very wealthy, somewhat conservative area, and a lot of people were just like, masks are... Masks are unnecessary. And I got so mad. I was seething. I was out there just like, and I got into that victim frame. And no matter how much you learn about victim mentality, you you will be it's in your, it. It's always, it's always your go-to if you pay a close attention to yeah. that. It's your, everyone's go-to. So I'm out there getting really pissed off. And as I get pissed off, I lost all my energy. So I had planned this eight-mile run. I got to about three and a half, turned around, went home, pissed off, got home. Mm-hmm. What the hell was it? <laughs> People are such idiots. I can't even believe these idiots out there. And he went, wow, you're really angry. And that's always like when I'm angry, that's when I'm going to do this exercise to go from being a victim to taking control and power. And so what I always do is I say to myself, how can you take 100% responsibility for what just happened to you on that trail? Mm-hmm. Okay, so here's how it works. I knew it was a weekend. I knew that trail was going to be crowded. I know this area. 
I know who's going to be out there. A hundred percent, I could have predicted that people would be out there with no masks. And I went out there and I let myself get angry. Mm-hmm. You, were, was, you, you were you were actually searching for um, your subconsciously. I totally put myself in yep. a situation where I could feel pissed at the people I was feeling. Yeah, you, anyway. you just wanted to feel it. You just wanted to feel the, something. Yep, love it. And then it's the projection, right? Because what I was pissed at was me. And so then <laughs> I just right. went, okay, so if I want to run on the trail that I like to run on, now I'm going to run at 4.30 or 5 in the morning because nobody's out there. So mm-hmm. if I'm dedicated to that trail, it's problem solved. Otherwise, I'm going to create a trail around the neighborhood where nobody is. So if they're not wearing a mask, I'm not affected. And it took me two minutes to change from my victim, sad, angry, pathetic place I was living for an hour to like, that's never going to be a problem for me because I owned it. I took control and now I have my power back. And I tried to really do that with, uh, you can't do it with some things. I'm not trying to say that if you're a victim of racism or some other sort of, um, those things are real. I'm. What, you're, are I know real. what you're. I know what you're alluded to. Yeah, those Take things are power real. from people who have uh, who have been disempowered by the culture. But for me, and for a lot of people in these kind of situations, we give our power away and we complain and we bitch and we moan when we can just quickly feel just empowered. Reset. And it's reset. Such a better feeling. Mm-hmm. And so I, that is part of what I what I coach people through is this concept of like stop feeling like a victim that being empowered that's like it's like leading you to the glory you can feel so in control of things that a minute ago seemed like just they're going to mess your life up. Everything you've ever wanted in life is on the other side of that fear and pain. However, you have to be very conscious of all the things that you're carrying. And people hold on to stuff and they try to cherish even the bad shit. <laughs> so much freedom and just letting go and surrendering everything. I, I mean, I think that's been the theme here. And I just hope people can see that if two people like the two of us who've gone through some pretty difficult things, and I've heard from your story and you know what you had to watch with your sister growing up and with your mother mm-hmm. and cancer and eight surgeries and And not having a lot of resources, like so much of that, you carry with you until you have to let it go. I had it to to the universe. The universe will let you know, and the universe will force you to deal with it if you don't deal with it on your own. Right. And the universe forced me to deal with it back last January. It forced me to deal with it. And it wasn't a good feeling, but I learned pretty quickly on that I seek advice rather than, I wasn't really seeking external I was going looking for explicit knowledge. And then I started raising my vibration as I started going through the healing process. You're never healed. You go through the it's an everyday process, right? I mean, if I stopped, I don't know, brushing my teeth today and I didn't brush my teeth for three months, my teeth are going to fall out. <clears throat> I'm going to have to start having some issues, right? Well, it's the same thing in my process. Well, Chris, have- I'm a psychologist, so you just threw out January and you have to tell me what happened in January. Well, we'll go into that and obviously your show. Yeah. Oh, we'll have to go. Yeah. Well, I mean, that was a, I mean, I was what, you know, my daughter was born in last January 8th and, you know, and I was, you know, in, in a really bad situation and I put my choices and decisions that led me to that type of feeling. I had everything I've ever wanted in my life right in the tip of my hands. And I was, I was so unhappy. Right. I was, I was, I mean, I'm curse, but I was fucking miserable. Yeah. It's fucking miserable. I'm Irish. So you're good. Right. Yeah. And I just to be <laughs> conscious, obviously the listeners, yeah, they hear me curse a lot. So, but 
I was miserable, but everything I was misery. It was it was I was doing it to myself. It was self-inflicted. Yeah, I realized through all that discovery and hard work. Because my daughter was born is the first time I cried for joy ever since my yeah. sister passed away. And that was it. And that was that was a spark. And it was a spark that I needed. And I was like, wait a minute, I can feel vulnerable. I can feel vulnerable. I was crying of joy for the first time. And I haven't experienced in over 25 years. And that was a weird feeling. And I had to go and of course, all the other shit was happening in my life. And I, mean, I own all my shit. And I and that's where I had to go back in and own everything. And I owned and I owned even some of the choices and the decisions that led me to making those choices and decisions and a thought power and a thought process and understanding what those thoughts mean and understanding my triggers and not defusing that trigger, but leaning into that pain and feeling it and then start like sitting. You ever remember that movie butterfly effect? We're going to show our age here. That butterfly effect. When you start, when he slows himself down and he goes back and he's like, and like story yeah. flashes across the screen. I put myself in situations when I was a child and asking myself and really questioning, why do I feel this way? And where's this coming from? And I'm telling you, I, I literally dropped off the face of the earth. Like when I put my headphones on, I had the thing to quiet so I can meditate. I drop, I, I'm like putting myself in like 20, 30 years ago. And I'm remembering stuff now, Shannon, that I haven't thought about in probably over 30 years. And it's, it's so freaking powerful. And now, I mean, it, it Premi asked me back in January if I had to label all the things I was grateful for at nighttime and in the morning, I could probably list like 10. I can, I can literally spy, like just shoot off probably over a hundred right now. That's amazing. It changes, I mean, transform your life. And I'm sure you feel the same. I'm sure you just, the stuff that we've had. And that thing, that's why, you know, I've, I've attracted you into my life and you, you know, obviously you attracted, we're on that frequency and that station we're plugged in. Yes. So when I, when I hear people and they go, man, thank you so much for coming on. I'm like, you would, you would show up eventually. But those are the people that you're attracting into your life. And you talk about the trauma. And I want to lead this to the last question and then we'll move on and obviously wrap this up for the listeners because this is such an impactful episode. I'm so grateful for karma, trauma. So karma, and I have my own divindic principle, right? You have, you know, like every action has an equal and an opposite reaction. So from people doing something to me, I learned this through my self-discovery. When someone would do something to me, if I gave it back to them and fought back, then I'm still attracting that same negative bullshit into my life. And I might not see it through that same person or another person or another agent, but I'll pass it on indirectly to maybe the people around me or whatever that might be. Because kids pay, pay, kids pay very close attention to you, everybody. And that's why their minds are so impressionable and so molding. You can, just create a, a beautiful child, uh, you know, where they, they're going to question a narrative and ask the questions of why do I need to do it this way? Right. So, and I want to ask this question about that principle and every action has an equal and opposite reaction. I wrote this down to so make sure that I didn't forget when you tie that back into and in understanding the ego and it's the core and the root of all that fear and everything that's on the other side of it. Like what is, what is your, I guess, thoughts and what is your take on the karma and how does that tie into so much trauma? Wow. 
Sorry, um, it was a loaded question. Yeah, I I don't I don't even know that I have a good answer or a good even understanding of of sort of I mean a lot of what you're talking about it sounds to me like sort of the law of attraction, sort of like and kind and of I, yeah, I believe it I believe it to an extent. But what I'm what I mean by that is like really identifying like all the things that are like done to you maybe by a person or an event or whatever that might yeah. be, but then owning that accountability, because this is where a lot of people, they go, oh, it's, it's a hocus pocus bullshit. It's not hocus pocus. You're trying to go back in and realign yourself, not for the law of attraction and projecting things out and obviously polarizing that, that frequency. That's part of it. Yes. But also if you're not careful, you can be bought into the ego part of you and learning yeah. how you can't destroy your ego. You can manage it. But that's where I really want to go into and obviously pick your brain on that. How much is that? pertain to just the ego and learning how to manage your ego. And then that way you're not giving off that hocus pocus bullshit. Yeah. But that's what I really wanted to ask you. Cause I'm, yeah. I'm asking for myself. Well, I'm going to tell you, I have pretty strong opinions about some of this. And so, um, I think whenever we're defensive and whenever we're in the need to be right, mm -hmm. you can almost always trace that to ego, right? You can trace that to this I, the self-importance place that we go. That's pretty shallow. It's not our best self. Mm -hmm. So like, and when you were talking, I was thinking about, and you were saying trauma, but almost like anything negative that comes in our life. So, you know, when I was going through a divorce and my ex-husband had lost everything and he'd lost all of our money and all of the, I was angry, right? And mm -hmm. so when you're angry and I was defensive because I wanted him to be the problem and I wanted to be right, you ruined this. I didn't ruin this. And when we get into that type of place, I think you're right that what you're talking about is this sort of, if I had lived there and stayed there, I would have lived there forever, whether the, my next person would have come in my life and I would have re, I would have relived the... I'm not happy. I'm going to blame you for most of the problems in my life. Something's going to blow up and I'm going to get angry again. And I would right, have really that, you and go pattern, down yep. that karmic mm -hmm. trauma you're talking about where you have two choices. You can either learn and move past it or you can stay in that cycle. And so I think for me, one of my core, and I believe this so, so deeply and everybody comes back to me with Hitler, but I believe that we should forgive everybody for everything. Mm -hmm. I really believe it. When I hear a story about somebody whose child was murdered and they go and they forgive the person. I forgive you for me, not for you. And it's, and that's part of it. But, but the even bigger, like we are all struggling. We are here on this planet. It is hard. Oh my God. Like it is so hard, like figuring out balance and meaning and purpose and connection and meaningful action. That is hard, hard work. And so if you're lost for a while, it means I can say, I get it. I've been lost. Mm -hmm. I've been really lost too. And so when you're lost, I can show up with compassion and forgiveness and gratitude and maybe help you move to that next place. And if that's where we live, I think when you were talking about raising your vibration, that's so powerful. If I can forgive, I forgave my ex 100%. Not only that, I did a couple years ago, and I have a couple podcasts on this. I did a gratitude project because I really wanted to study the effects of gratitude. How powerful really is it? Mm -hmm. And so because I'm type A, my sister calls me A plus, I actually wrote a hundred letters. I can see that. <laughs> days. 
So I wrote every single person deep, long letters every day for a hundred days. And it affected my brain like nothing else on earth. More than exercise, more than writing people. It improved my memory. It improved my mood. It improved my intimacy with friend, with friends. I wrote a letter to my ex-husband telling him how grateful I was that he was part of my journey, that he gave me my kids, that I admire him for doing the work to be sober and that him being a dad is now the most important thing and that he'll be connected to me all. And I did this thing and there's power and energy and love there. And that's where people will find the most joy in life, right? Not holding on to stuff. And so I love that you asked it like it's part of karma and trauma. Like we have the not only ability, but I think the responsibility to heal ourselves. Yes. And 100%. and when you and the most it, powerful ones to be able to heal heal other people through other people. Yes. And, that, and then the ripple effects, that whole thing finally makes sense to me when somebody said, like, when a butterfly flaps its wings somewhere, a tsunami happens. I used to think, like, what? But I'm like, what? I'm like, I all these tsunamis happen a lot. <laughs> yeah. When I, I wrote a hundred gratitude letters, I got about 40 back and other people started gratitude projects and people started writing me mm. that they were buying coffee for the person behind them in line and saying thank you more deeply to their family. And I think about my hundred letters, how many people benefited because then other people got into gratitude. It's 100%. powerful. Put a smile on it. Put a smile on it. My granny used to say that. Um, and I'm going to wrap this up because obviously we're going to have a lot of different things we want to talk about, obviously, on your show as well and be conscious of the time. The And just let everyone know, I am recording um, on her uh, podcast, Fix Yourself, right after this. So I can't wait. Like a double, it's like a double whammy. Um, so we'll have to syncronate um, the, the times when it comes out for sure. And I want to touch on this. You, you, you hit something and you hit like pretty much a landmine for someone that probably needs to hear this. But I'm going to kind of like wrap it up this way. So say, for instance, you have someone that is bought into that negative cycle and they're creating their own fucking trauma and own hell, pretty much. What is the best way that you're able to get to grasp their attention and show them that they're the reason why they're not moving or successful or skinny or, or um, healthy, or it could be just the relationships they want in their life? And I touched on this and that was the biggest thing for myself is I really, truly fell in love with myself, even for my flaws. Is it that angle? I mean, is that angle or is that the approach that you take with someone that really needs to, I guess, do a lot of like self-discovery within themselves? Well, that's a great question, Chris. And I'll tell you, you can't make somebody be ready. Right. Okay. Like I that's give good. very honest, I'm not a, how do you feel psychologist? I, I, I work with military. I, I'm a give it to you straight. Then uh, I okay. sense that. And so, and yet I'm, I'm, I'm your biggest cheering. Like I'm your, I am in everybody's corner. I will dig through the mud with you, but I'm not going to dig through the mud for you. There we go. And so I know very quickly, I didn't, when I first started, I used to work harder than my patients to work, to fix their problems. I now know from session one, if somebody is ready to do the work. Because when I say to somebody, okay, you've come to me for this, I've done this before, lots of times, here's the first thing we're going to do. And if I get a, oh no, I, if I get a, a yeah. no, a physical, you're not ready for me. Yeah. You're not ready for me. Yeah. Then I know you're not ready. And that's okay. That's okay. It's mm -hmm. not my job to decide when you want to move past. I'm just here and present. I coach people. Like I said, I've got my pace Academy. If they want to go, if you want to 
understand how to become empowered and get led to the water. And then you can do the work um, on Teachable, my course. But I will work with anybody, but I don't I don't demand that people are ready to work. That's totally up to them. Because nobody could have made you become enlightened and aware and and get past your trauma. You had to want to do that. Mm -hmm. I believe that. I I respect people enough to know that if you don't want to do the work right now, there's a reason. Show up when you are ready. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, that's the whole thing is like you got to show up to work. I mean, you got to you got to put it in. I mean, I can't. I can lead you to the water. And you mentioned that. And I love that. And I'm, even Anthony Trucks, our good friend, um, and, they, and I think you had him on your show. And he, yeah. you know, for, I don't know if you've been on his yet. Um, all shit. I have. He, I, he I, didn't have me on his show. I don't think it's been released yet, but soon. Right. Yeah. I love his, I love the whole like all shift. And I, know, I liked how he named it that way. I thought it was pretty, pretty creative um, for himself. But Trucks, if you're listening to this, I love you, brother. But, um, you mentioned there's a couple of different ways on being able to kind of get that out. But he mentioned something to me in our very first conversation. And it was so funny. I think it was back in like February or March, whatever. I don't know. All the months bleed together. He mentioned plant the seed and let them get, let them water that, that seed from another source. And I suffered from that for years that I would, I had all this information and I had all these skills and I, I can do this in my business business life. And I can't do this to the people that I love the most and, the, and particularly the ones that I'm doing it for. And I, I was trying to freaking, you know, plant the seeds in the garden and water the damn thing. I was doing all the work and tilling it and all, 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 and I was doing it all because that's my nature of giving and giving and giving and giving and giving. Yeah. And that was the biggest thing for me. And I guess that that's, I guess we can kind of like, I guess uh, drop the mic on on this type of this interview. What what are your what are your feelings towards that? I think you're you're talking about your business that that's the same exact phenomenon that I was having. Like when somebody comes to me so sad and desperate, and they say, like, you know, I'm 300 pounds. I really want to be healthy. Since I know how to do it, sometimes I I would feel like, oh, here's what you do. Like, yeah, I'll do it for you. Just do exactly what I'm doing, whatever. And then you get frustrated like, when they don't do it. You're like, what the freak? <laughs> but, but I really do think that's that's another way of like just controlling, as opposed to like, it's harder work to to realize how to how to reach somebody where they are. Mm-hmm. So not everybody's gonna be. Not everybody's going to approach sales exactly the way Chris Ross does. And even though you know you could probably do it even better than they can, you have to be able to be this conduit to help somebody where they are. Right. And that's that's what I try to do. I try to show up and really see. I, I listen with the intent to understand. I don't listen with the intent to respond, which is what most of people are doing. Mm-hmm. When you do that, when you show up and you're just listening to who who's this individual, then you can really see this beautiful, unique soul. And how do I help that soul? Not my soul, because I know what I'm right. doing in my life, but this soul get to where they want to do so they can wake up like me every morning and feel like happy to be alive. Right. I I think that, and I loved it, what you just said there. And it just, like, I guess it rung a bell, it hit a trigger. And a lot of this conversation has hit a lot of triggers with myself and on, I guess, realizing how far I have came, but then again, how far I still have to go. And that's the beautiful part. It's all an illusion, right? But you talked about just their other person's soul. Like, I don't want anybody that, and I actually would say this in some of the things that I would do, that I don't want anybody to own any mind, body, or spirit, any part of me. I own me. I own my soul. And the only person that knows my soul better than anyone else is me 
but that's the problem with 99.9% of people in the world. They don't know their own worth, their own value, their own self. They don't even own their soul. That's controlled by something else. Right. Right. And it's just a, and then you, you touched on that and I'm just wanting to make sure that I shined a light on it for the listeners that maybe didn't grasp and catch that little message that you just dropped. That was a freaking, I need one. I need one of those buttons. I'm going to get, <laughs> I'm going to get my team and get me one of these buttons, things that hit sound effects. Mm-hmm. As I'm, but yeah, but other than that, Shane, thank you so much. You um, are for, welcome. It's been so fun. What a conversation. I have, I think this has been about the most fun I've had on a podcast. Oh man, don't, don't tell me that. That's uh, you're gonna get my head like get big. I'm no, I, I I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation, and I hope the listeners, you know, got as much joy that I have actually received even having this conversation. I look forward to part two, um, coming up here shortly for you guys. But other than that, guys, reach out to Shannon. I'll put everything in the show notes. My team will put everything there, and I highly suggest even if you're a guy, go and take her course. <laughs> you know, take her course. She's this is comes, I mean, I'm telling you the most impactful courses that I've ever taken in my life don't come from a major company or corporation. It comes from someone that's lived that damn shit, that lived and overcome. That's where you learn so much from. I love this. Thank yeah. you so much again. Thank you. All right. Well, I will look forward to part two on my show. All right. Y'all guys, y'all take care. Be well, be safe, be you, be great. Go win. Take care. <laughs>